uh, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I never want you to take anything that I say and just believe it just because pastor says it. That's never a good approach to anything, just because, well, so-and-so says it. I love listening to debates. I love listening to political talking heads. I like listening to pastors preach. But as I'm listening, I am trying to learn and grow. And if there's something that I'm thinking, that doesn't sound right. That, that sounds a little strange. I'm going to go to the source and I'm going to research it and I want to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. And that's what I hope in three and a half years as your pastor you do at this point because that's what I encourage you to do. So I'm not going to tell you that there are X number of dispensations. I will tell you what we believe as a church. And again, this is a preaching style format, so we're not going to open the floor for discussion. That's not what this format is. But what I want us to understand, what we're going to look at this evening are the three main ones. And if you look at the front of your midweek message, Messenger. We have here towards the bottom, we talk about the scriptures interpreted in their natural, literal sense, revealed divinely determined dispensations or rules of life which define man's responsibilities in successive ages. Now, notice three of these dispensations, the law, the church, and the kingdom, are subjects of detailed revelation in scripture. And we're going to get that's going to be part of the latter. Um, part of the back of your handout here and so we'll have we'll go over those three main now everyone for the most part that's a bible believer believes that there's at least two dispensations new testament and old testament everybody that believes the bible believes at least in two because there is an old testament and there's a New Testament. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I've got verse 17 here. Uh, but I want to read verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening and we're so grateful for the opportunity just to study your word together. Lord, we don't deserve to know about you. You are high and holy and we are just grateful for the opportunity that we have that you have revealed yourself to man through your word, that you have revealed yourself to man through your son. And Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you sent Christ to die on the cross, but that he didn't die and stay buried, but that he rose again on that third day as we're we're going to celebrate this Sunday. Lord, I pray now as we study together, I pray as we look at these dispensations as you have revealed them in Scripture, I pray that you'll help us to understand. Give us that spiritual insight, Lord. I pray that you would help us to follow along, remove all distractions, and I pray that this will be a help for us uh, in the coming days. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. There's much debate in the world of Christianity over the issue of dispensationalism. As I was typing that out, I started to realize there is much debate in the world of Christianity, period. 
We just leave it there and put a period there because there's a lot of different beliefs out there that stem from one book. And this is why, let's, let's keep your place here in 1 Corinthians. Go ahead and go back to first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now our theme is life and godliness. Life and godliness. And that comes from verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. If you skip down to verse number 5, this is where we're getting our monthly themes, quote unquote, so to speak. Verse 5, Beside this giving all diligence, add to your faith. February we looked at faith. And uh, to your faith... Virtue, March, we looked at virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And that's why April, we're looking at knowledge. And so you can kind of look and see preemptively where we're going to be month to month as the Lord leads, unless He changes something, uh, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. And so we will end, Lord willing, in September with Charity Month, which it'll co which works out perfectly because October is Missions Month, November is Thanksgiving, and then we have the Christmas season, and then we're going to start all over with Vision Sunday in January. So uh, when you look at it that way, the year is almost over. I hope you're ready for Christmas. Hope you bought your wife something nice already, men. Okay, there we go. That being being said, all right, now don't, wives, don't elbow your husbands yet. He's still got a few more hours. Okay, but you can kind of see where we're going with this study. And the reason why there's much debate in Christianity over the Bible issue, dispensationalism, soteriology, the study of salvation, uh, uh, and all of those different, ecclesiology, uh, and all of those different ologies is because of the lack of adding knowledge to our virtue. It's a lack of adding knowledge. Again, where do we derive our knowledge? It's going to come from God's Word. That's how we want to grow spiritually. The only way we can do that is by studying this book. You're not going to grow knowledge-wise about spiritual things if you're not investing time studying spiritual things. And that only comes from the Word of God. Now that doesn't mean we can't read after other men that have studied out and written books, but always where there seems to be a contradiction between the Word of man and the Word of God, the Word of God always triumphs. The Word of God always triumphs. And so the issue of dispensationalism, here are some questions. Is it biblical? How many dispensations are there? Are there three? Are there two? Are there ten? Are there twenty-four? These are all numbers that people believe. They believe that there's two dispensations. There's three. There's seven. There's eight. There's ten. There's twenty-four. And they chop up the church age. And so how many are there? And then the question that most Christians ask, including myself as a young person and as a Bible college student at times, does it even really matter? Does it really matter? The answer to that is, is yes, it matters. And we're going to see that in just a moment. Hopefully, we'll have time to cover all of this. All of these are great questions for a Bible student. And so I'm not in Bible college. Well, if you're a student of the Word, you're a Bible student. Amen? That's what we are together. We're trying to learn the Word of God. We can see in Scripture that there are dispensations mentioned. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We looked at verse 17. Uh, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So we know that the Word is a Bible word. Uh, but what does it mean to me? 
unto you as a student of the Word. Three important things to consider that we're going to look at. Number one, as we look at the word defined. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but we're going to look at dispensationalism defined. It should be self-evident from the front midweek messenger because this comes from our doctrinal statement. But I'll, I do want to give us some basic definition. Uh, uh, in the, the, the Schofield Reference Bible, it defines dispensation as a dispensation, uh, a period of time during which man is tested in respect of obedience to some specific revelation of the will of God. Seven such dispensations are distinguished in Scripture. So uh, Schofield would say that there are seven dispensations. The new Schofield Reference Bible, now that's not new because they've changed the words, it's a King James Bible, but they have updated Schofield's study notes, uh, adds the importance of realizing three things. Uh, a deposit of divine revelation, man's stewardship responsibility to that revelation. These are not your A, B, and C right here. Don't worry, I've got, I'll have those up here for us. Uh, man's stewardship responsibility to that revelation and the time period during which a dispensation operates. How many of you have ever heard of Charles Ryrie? I know Miss Barbara probably has, Brother Grant, a couple of you. He wrote a book called Dispensationalism. It's a good book. It's on Kindle if you want to get it and look at it. He's got a very well thought out outline and he so shows some scripture in there and ties it to it if you want further reading. Uh, uh, and that's where we're going to get these A, B's and C's. He gives three principal ideas that are connected to the meaning of the English word dispensation. Letter A, the act or de of dealing out or distributing. The act of dealing out or distributing, the word dispensation. Think of this. What does the word dispensation sound like? Dispense. You go to a soda machine, you pop in some quarters, well, $5, you know. Now you can wave your phone in front of it. Anybody ever seen those? You can wave your phone in front of the soda machines. And, uh, it, and it just, that's all it takes. You just wave your phone. I don't know where they get the money from. I just wave the phone in front of the... No. And what happens? The machine dispenses. It distributes or deals out the soda. Same thing with dispensations. It's the act of dealing out or distributing. Number two, the action of three things, administering, ordering, and managing. The action of administering, ordering, or managing the system by which things are administered. And then letter C, or number three, which I apparently left off of here because I took it off and put the, the quote in there. Uh, uh, so you'll want to put a little C under, between those blanks there. Dispensing with some requirement. It's the action of dispensing with some requirement. Does a candy or a soda machine just dispense candy and soda all day? No, there is a requirement. There is something required in order to get the machine to dispense it. Thus, the central idea in the word dispensation is that of managing or administering the affairs of a system or, in the Word of God, a household. A new period always begins only when from the side of God, a change is introduced in composition of the principles valid up to that time. 
That is, when from the side of God, three things occur. A continuance of certain ordinances valid until then, an annulment of other regulations until then valid, or a fresh introduction of a new principle not before valid. You say, what does all of that mean? Well, let's get the, the blanks on the quote. Now, this is by Charles Ryrie, and he says, the uh, understanding of God's differing eco economies is essential to a proper interpretation of His revelation within those economies. The understanding of God's differing economies is essential to a proper interpretation of His revelation within those various economies. So, just to summarize, again, I said the, the definition part we'd go through quickly. Dispensationalism views the world as a household run by God. That's what the world is. We believe, by Him all things consist. That's what the Bible teaches us, right? All things consist. The world is ordered and structured by God. In this household world, God is dispensing or administering the affairs according to His will and in various stages of revelation in the passage of time. Now, it, now all of that sounds very complex, but when we actually look at the Bible makes it very clear. Why? Because this book is an easy book. Amen? It really is. We complicate it. That's what we do. We complicate this book. When we look at the passages of Scripture, so what are we talking about? Dispensationalism is a changing in the way that God is working within the different economies and the stages of the earth. So, number two, and this is where we're going to be for quite some time, I want us to look at how it's divided, how dispensations are divided. And this will probably make the definition a little more clear, how it's divided. It's important to know that Scripture does teach dispensationalism, but how many are there? Again, there's debate on seven or three or ten or twelve or twenty-four. We believe that there are seven main dispensations. Seven main dispensations. And I just realized I meant to print that Larkin picture from uh, Rightly Divided, and I did not do that. I apologize. I will try to have those Sunday by Sunday school so you can have those to look at. It's just to uh, Clarence Larkin, and he is drawn out a picture and includes Bible verses, and it's very neat to look at, and that breaks down. And he includes an eighth dispensation, which is after the millennial reign of Christ, uh, but we're talking about the seven world dispensations under the rule of man, essentially, is what we're looking at. So uh, tonight, obviously from the outline, we're not looking at all seven. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we can look at all seven if you'd like. Well, I mean, that's okay. I, I, I plan on looking at the three main ones, and uh, that'll be a help for us. So I want us to review these three. Letter A, the law. The law. Turn to Romans chapter 5. The dispensation of the law begins... Anybody want to take a guess at where it begins? At the law. Who was given the law? Moses. Exodus 19 and 20, the law enters in. Now you're in Romans chapter 5. 
Romans chapter 5, and I want us to start at verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. This is sin's acceptance. Sin is accepted by man. Is this sin's beginning? For man it is, but not in general. Why? Because who sinned first? Lucifer. Isaiah 12, 14, somewhere in there, where he says, I will be like the Most High, my throne will be above the throne of God. And that pride sets in. That's why Satan was cast out, because he rebelled against God, took a third of the angels with him. That was the beginning of sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, that sin's acceptance, man accepts sin as the rule of law for him, when he decides to do his own will over the will of God, the taking of the fruit. And death by sin, that's sin's fruit. That's the fruit of sin, death. What a man sows, that shall he also reap. You reap sin, you sow sin rather, you reap death. And that's what all men are going to reap. Because that's what the Bible says. One man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Now notice sin's inheritance. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now verse 13. For until what? Law. Sin was in the world. So did the law bring about sin or was sin already there? Sin was already there. When did sin begin? Adam. Not Eve. Adam. Who took the fruit first? Eve. But who was the command given to? And who was dominion, uh, dominion. Who was dominion given to? Adam. And so whose responsibility was it in the garden to protect God's law, God's word. It was Adam's. And so Adam took the fruit. By one man, sin entered into the world. There's sin's acceptance. Death by sin, there's sin's fruit. So death passed upon all men, there's sin's inheritance. That's our inheritance. You think, oh, my parents didn't leave me anything. Yes, they did. Death. That's what they've left us. First man, death. You're welcome. Congratulations. All right. Now look at verse 13, though, because we're talking about the law. Until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. So then we see sin's revelation. Sin's revelation. Did sin exist prior to the law? Yes. Did man know what sin was? No. When did man begin to understand what sin was? At the introduction of God's law. Now notice, nevertheless, verse 14, death reigned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. And then what happened? Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's. That's the disobedience uh, uh, to God is what Adam's sin was. And there were people that lived after Adam that did not sin like Adam. They did not disobey God's Word. We see throughout Scripture, 
What was Job considered? A perfect man, right? When did Job live? Sometime between Adam and Moses. The oldest book, chronologically speaking, in the Word of God, the book of Job. Hast thou considered my servant Job? He's a perfect man, an upright man. So, was Job a sinner? Well, according to the Word of God, he was perfect and upright. So, not everyone sinned as Adam sinned, with outward rebellion to God's Word. Job tried to live the way that God wanted him to live. But Job still had to die, because death is the fruit of sin. And sin, regardless of whether Job ever told a lie or not, whether he ever stole anything or not, regardless whether he ever disobeyed his parents or not, Job was destined to death because his inheritance was sin. So, even over them, death reigned, that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Verse 15, not as the offense, so also as the free gift. For through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God. And the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And so we have here, and we could, we could study Romans chapter 5 for, for the next three years, honestly. There's so much here, and we're trying to overview it to learn about this dispensation of the law. But in verse 14, we see that there is a change at the point of Moses from Adam until Moses. What happened with Moses? The introduction of the law. So then there was a change in the economy of God. He gave man the law. And He revealed unto man his sin. Prior to the law, man was under another dispensation or economy that was run by God and there was revelation given then, but it was prior to the law. So, what is a dispensation? It is a change in the way that the world operates and works from the side of God because of His revelation that He's given. And so what happened at Moses? There was a special revelation given. The law. Now man knows sin. Man knows, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, thou shalt remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, honor thy father and thy mother. Now man knows that God has expectations. And so because of that special revelation, the economy changes. And now what's needed? A sacrificial system. It was needed before God pictured that, but He hadn't revealed it through a special revelation. You see, when He gave Cain and Abel, and you have Abel who brought the more perfect sacrifice, and Cain kills Abel. So He pictured in slaying of the animal, the lamb, to clothe Adam and Eve, that blood would be needed to cover, but man didn't understand why until the law. It's very important to understand that. Clearly in Romans 5.13, we see the introduction of a new dispensation. The law, very quickly, covers the majority of Jewish history. The law covers the period of wilderness wanderings under Moses. The period of wilderness wanderings under Moses. The period of conquest under Joshua. The period of the judges. The period of the kings. The period of the captivity under Assyria and Babylon. 
and the period of the restoration to the land under Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. All of that is under the dispensation of the law. Guess what else is under the dispensation of the law? The four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You say, well, now wait a second. Those, those are the Gospels. Those, those books are recorded in the New Testament. Well, remember, that's the division to help us understand the transition from the Old to the New. But the New Testament doesn't begin until first what? According to Hebrews chapter 9. The death of the testator. Who was the testator? Hebrews tells us it was Jesus Christ. And thus the New Testament began at the death of the testator, Jesus Christ. If you have an inheritance that's given to you, is that inheritance given to you just the day that you're born? No. You have a last will and what? Testament. What has to happen for the last will and testament to go into effect? The testator has to die. Same thing with the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9. These periods, the wilderness, conquest under Joshua, judges, kings, captivities, restoration of the land, and then the history covered in the four Gospels are all under the dispensation of the law. What was introduced at the death of the testator? The dispensation of the church. The church, or the dispensation of grace, as some people would call it. The church. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 2. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, is explaining one of the reasons why. Verse 4, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. For this cause. He's just explained in chapter 2 who Christ is, reminding the church at Ephesus that we're reconciled unto Christ, reminding them that Christ is peace, and reminding Him that He is our cornerstone. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, how that by, what's that word? Revelation. What did we say was the change of a dispensation? When a new revelation from God comes about. What happened from Adam to Moses? What happened at Moses? A new revelation given to Moses. What was it? The Word of God. The law. At the time of Christ, at His death, burial, and resurrection, through the prophets, through the disciples, what was given? A new Testament, a new revelation, that of the grace of God. How by how that by revelation he made known unto me the what? 
the what? We're in verse 3, sorry, chapter 3, verse 3. How that by revelation He made known unto me the what? Mystery. Mystery. Now, in verse 2 and 3, we're introduced to the dispensation of the grace of God. That's the church age. And we also have in this passage a clear biblical definition of the word mystery. Now, I understand that we don't really need someone to define what a mystery is. Amen? But it's good to understand because a lot of people, they read this and they'll say that the plan of Christ was known by the Old Testament prophets that they were looking to the cross from the Old Testament and that we look behind to the cross in the New Testament. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the inclusion of the Gentiles in the plan of God, that the death of the Messiah on the cross at Calvary and His burial and His resurrection was a mystery to them. What is a mystery? Well, it's defined for us here in verse 4. Whereby when ye read, 4 and 5, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. What is a mystery? That which is not known. Amen? If you knew what a mystery was, the moment you picked up a mystery novel, you wouldn't have to buy it. You could stand in Walmart and read the first chapter and go, Oh, the butler did it. I, don't have, I just saved $5. Amen? If you knew that was what was going to happen. 1 Timothy, keep your place here. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I encourage you in the New Testament and the Pauline letters, look up the 316s in the New Testament. Most famous one's which one? John. John 316. I encourage you to look up the 316s. It's a neat study. Maybe we'll do something like that here someday. But look at 1 Timothy... Help if I turn to Timothy, not Thessalonians. There we go. 1 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of what? Godliness. What is godliness? He's getting ready to define it. This is the mystery. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. What is that? That's the mystery of godliness. What's a mystery? Something that was not known. Remember Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, to understand the knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, the mystery... Now remember, chapter 3 starts a parenthetical thought. How that, back to Ephesians, we're flipping back and forth now. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to move because I'm already at quarter till and we, I want us to pray together. It's important that we pray together, but I want to get done with at least this and then maybe we'll finish up the kingdom next Wednesday. That's the third one there on your list. We'll do it that way, Lord willing. So, whereby, uh, how that, by revelation, He made known unto me the mystery, that's Ephesians 3, 3, and then there's a parenthetical thought. Now, if you skip down to the end of the parenthetical thought, verse 5, "...made known unto me the mystery, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men." What was the mystery? It was the mystery of Christ. Verse 4, "...when ye read, ye understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ." What's the mystery of Christ? That God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, 
seen of angels, uh, uh, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. You see, that, that was a mystery. The Jews looked down on the Gentiles. The Jews looked down. Even after Christ's resurrection, the Jews looked down on us. Why? Because they did not think we were included in God's plan. Until when? Until God told Peter, what I've called uncommon, call not thou common. I've included the Gentiles. And he sent a man to his house. That was when Peter had the vision of the basket, the picnic, so to speak, of all the foods that were now available to the Jews to eat. Why? Because there was a change in the economy of God from being under the law to under grace. That's where we are. So that's our, that, that we're going to stop here. We're going to say it because the kingdom, there's so much information under the kingdom. I do not, I do not want to rush through it and, because I want us to get it. And so save your handout, or rather, I'll create you a new one. The third letter C is the kingdom, okay? Letter C is the kingdom. That's obvious because I've said it three times, but letter C is the kingdom. And next week when we come back, we're going to finish up dispensationalism. We're going to look at the, the, the kingdom dispensation. And that's when I'll have those handouts. I'll try to make a little reminder. Beth, help me remember to do those Larkin handouts if you don't mind. I'll probably just do it after church tonight when everybody's gone. So that way I'll put it on my desk and, and then I'll just forget why they're on my desk by Sunday. All right. So the law, the church, and then the kingdom. And we're going to talk next week about the kingdom and then why it's important that we understand that there is a difference in the dispensations. Now let me ask you this. That's not a trick question. Is the way of salvation the same in all the dispensations? Yes. How are we saved? Grace through faith. In what? God's Word. God's Word. Abraham, in Genesis 15, I believe it is, is called, it was counted unto him as righteousness. It was counted unto him as righteousness. Why? Because he believed God's Word. That is how salvation comes into the life of men in any dispensation. Is the Word of God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Yes. Does God operate exactly the same in each dispensation? No, that's what's different. That's what makes it a dispensation. From Adam to Moses, there was one way of operation. Then the law enters in. And from Moses to Christ, there was a different mode of operation. And then at Christ, grace entered in. And now we're living in the age of grace. And we're living under and what I believe is the greatest dispensation. Why? Because there's no set of rules that we have to maintain in order to be saved. There's no set of rules. Quickly, Romans, quickly, Romans 6. Very quickly. I know you put your Bibles up. This is what I'm good at. I wouldn't be a preacher if I didn't make you take them back out. Amen. Romans chapter 6. Remember, what did we say the inheritance of sin was? Or our inheritance, rather, is death. The fruit of sin is death. Death passing upon all men, there's our inheritance. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin, penalty, payment, because of sin, 
is death. Well, I've not told a lie. I've not done any of those things. Well, first of all, you just lied in church. Amen. Amen. Because we've all done those things. Whether out of ignorance or, or not, doesn't matter. Sin is innate within us. That's what the Bible teaches. The wages of sin is death. But because of the age of grace that we live in, the gift of God is eternal life. But notice, there's our qualifier, through Jesus Christ our Lord. If your faith and trust has never been placed in Jesus Christ in this dispensation, in this age of grace, the Bible says in John chapter 3, you're condemned already. So how are we saved in this dispensation? The same way everyone's saved in any dispensation. For by grace are you saved through faith. What is our faith in? Well, I'm, I'm a good person. I take care of my family. I give. I, I, I work hard. I'm as honest as possible. Not good enough. This isn't the age of the law. We're not under the dispensation of the law. Doesn't matter what all you do. The Bible says that the best that we have to offer on our best day, all our righteousnesses, filthy rags. We're under the dispensation of grace. Jesus Christ took care of sin when He was crucified on the cross and then He was buried and rose again on the third day according to the Scripture. And because of that, we are able to live in the dispensation where all we have to do is turn from our sin? No. To Jesus Christ. What am I turning from? Our old way of thinking that I'm good enough. I'm turning to Christ. The mouth confession is made with the heart. Man believeth unto righteousness. I hope you're saved. Amen. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. The next dispensation is right around the corner. We're going to look at that next Wednesday night. All right?